appreciate that so much. Turn uh, in your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 8 and stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm only going to read, I'm going to go over the whole chapter today, but I'm only going to read 15 through 27 in our reading this morning from the New Living Translation. Verse 15, Daniel 8. And as I, Daniel, was trying to understand the meaning of this vision, someone who looked like a man stood in front of me, and I heard a human voice calling out from the Ulai River, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of his vision. As Gabriel approached the place where I was standing, I became so terrified I fell with my face to the ground. Son of man, he said, you must understand that the events you have seen in your vision relate to the time of the end. While he was speaking, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground, but Gabriel roused me with a touch and helped me to my feet. Then he said, I am here to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. What you have seen pertains to the very end of time. The two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes represents the first king of the Greek empire. The four prominent horns that replace the, large one, the one large horn show that the Greek empire will break into four kingdoms, but none as great as the first. At the end of their rule, when their sin is at its height, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction. He will succeed in everything he does. He will destroy powerful leaders and devastate the holy people. He will be a master of deception and will become arrogant. He will destroy many without warning. He will even take on the capital P, prince of princes in battle, but he will be broken, though not by human power. This vision about the 2300 evenings and mornings is true, but none of these things will happen for a long time, so keep this vision a secret. Then I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for several days. Afterward, I got up and performed my duties for the king, but I was greatly troubled by the vision, and I could not understand it. Lord, help us understand the vision. so that we can be prepared for what's coming. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You may be seated. So I titled this message today, <laughs> Captain A. <laughs> it's a stupid title. But um, I'll tell you why I did it in just a second. But, you know, friends, uh, it's, it's a history lesson today. How many of you love history? Yeah, you only love history when you're old. So, sorry about that. <laughs> My hand's up twice. I didn't like history when I was young, but now I love it. And we have to learn from history or we're going to repeat it. At least we'll repeat the mistakes. Of history. Now, the original title of this message this week was The Unholy Trinity. Since today we're going to look at three ruthless men from history found in Daniel chapter 8. But the real unholy trinity we all know is the beast, the false prophet, and the antichrist. 
Antichrist. So I changed the title to Captain A. I wish it stood for Captain America because it's the 4th of July weekend. But um, it really stands for these three guys we just read about in the Bible, two who have already been here and wreaked havoc on our world, and especially the Jewish people, and then the third one who is still standing in the wings preparing to burst onto the scene. Now, all of their names begin with the letter A. I'm going to introduce all of them to you in just a moment, but first, let's go through a little American history. When our English ancestors first settled in America, they brought two things with them, freedom and taxes. Now, in March of 1765, the British Parliament approved the stamp tax, which created a tax on every document issued, every newspaper published. Patrick Henry and Paul Revere were so incensed by the stamp tax, they argued that there should be no taxation without representation. That's really an important part of our country. The anger of the colonists started to rise more and more against the British until March 5th, 1770, there was this unruly crowd of colonists that were attacked by one British soldier. So, I'm sorry, they attacked a single British soldier, and that led to British reinforcements arriving, and then the conflict started to escalate till the British soldiers fired into the crowd of colonists. So, um, show that picture. Uh, I don't want you to get mixed up with the Boston Massacre. This is called the Boston Massacre, but don't get mixed up. It's not the Boston Massacre of 1978 when the Yankees, who were trailing the Boston Red Sox by 10 games, came into town and swept them and eventually won the pennant away from them. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this Boston Massacre. That's a very good picture depicting the fact that uh, the British came and they fired into the crowd. And so all of these events were leading this country of ours to write the Declaration of Independence. Tomorrow we celebrate the Declaration. It's the 246th anniversary of our freedom from tyranny. Can we thank the Lord for that? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Now, you know, I know you all have the Declaration of Independence memorized, so you'll recognize these sentences that uh, some of them are just written so beautifully. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands. That's, that's written so well. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Those statements we all pretty much know. Here's a couple of statements we may not be too familiar with in the Declaration. Under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government. And then that paragraph concludes... The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations. 
all having in direct object the establishment of a direct tyranny over these states. So, tomorrow, as you're watching the fireworks, remember, we're celebrating victory, freedom over tyranny, when the British government imposed unfair taxes, when foreign soldiers demanded to come be able to live in our homes and eat our food, and that led us into the Third Amendment, and when those same soldiers shot into an unarmed crowd of people without justification or without consequence. So, let me just warn you about this. If you're heading out of town going north tomorrow, way out in the desert, you might just see a certain youth pastor who shall remain nameless, shooting off some of the most powerful fireworks you've ever seen. I'm just saying. But there is another tyranny under which some people live, and that is the tyranny of addiction. Jesus has the power to set us free from our addictions and to give us true freedom in him. Now, some have found instant freedom. While the vast majority have to trust God daily and work very hard to overcome the addiction. But just remember this awesome verse in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But having received our freedom, now we need to walk in it and maintain it at any cost. And, and sometimes we pay a very high price. But it's never going to equal the price that Jesus paid so that we could be free. Now, we've previously spoken and fearlessly we're supposed to examine ourselves to identify any sinful way, any self-defeating behavior that might exist in our, in our soul, our thoughts, our feelings, our, our desires, our actions. Now, I'm going to keep encouraging you, confess your sin daily. Confess your sin. Get it out. Talk to the Lord about it. And any weakness that you have in your life, turn it over to Jesus. And then every day, apply his blood to your life. Receive his cleansing and his forgiveness. We want to be ready to immediately stop any sinful or self-defeating behavior. We want to be ready to give instant obedience to that inner voice of the Holy Spirit who now resides inside of us. And one of the ways we maintain our freedom is to make a list of all the people we've previously hurt in our life through our addictive behavior, our attitudes, our actions. This is not just some general vague list. This is a specific list about exactly who we have hurt and what we have done to hurt them. Now today, I'm not talking about doing anything with this list because making the list is as important as then going and making things right. But just make the list today. Think about it. Be thoughtful. Be prayerful. Give it careful consideration. Who have I hurt that I need to make amends to? And I want to encourage you to think about those people and be ready to make things right. Because, friends, as believers in Christ, we need to take accountability for our actions and we need to stop playing the victim. And we need to build empathy for others. Accountability and empathy are important steps in our walk with Christ. 
in order for us to maintain a healthy lifestyle and protect our freedom from the tyranny of addiction. But while we're celebrating our independence from tyranny tomorrow, today I want you to look with me at the greatest, most evil tyrant who has ever lived or ever will live. This evil tyrant hasn't come yet, but he's on his way. He's going to arise in the end times, and Jesus is going to destroy him. He's going to rescue us from this tyrant's persecution, and he's going to give all of the people of God perfect freedom that can only be found in the kingdom of God. Daniel saw a vision. This was the third year of Belshazzar's reign. So this was... uh, the book of Daniel is not written in chronological order. His first six chapters were about the, the actions, you know, the, Daniel in the lion's den and the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. Now, the rest of the, what we're looking at, 7 through 12, we are going to be looking into the things that are going to be taking place. Some of it's already happened. Some of it is yet to happen. And that's why... Daniel 8 through 12 are written in Hebrew because now this is more for the people of God to tell them, to try to give them hope. Can you imagine? I mean, they're in like year uh, Belshazzar's reign. It's still pretty early. I mean, they have 70 years they're going to be in captivity. And so they're hurting right now and they, they need some hope. And so that's why God gives them this in these great instructions on how to live knowing what's going to happen in the future. And knowing that even though, you know, his promises are true for all of us, but sometimes it just takes a while before you get to actualize that promise. So wait for the promise. These people that were in Babylon, these Jewish people that had been captured and taken into captivity, they needed hope and they needed to wait and I just want to say that today if you don't hear anything else friends there's hope wait expectantly for God to move in your circumstance so Daniel sees this vision and the first part of the vision is where he sees an image that represented the fall of the Medo-Persian Empire, which hadn't even happened yet. Belshazzar is still ruling. Belshazzar is the king that saw the writing on the wall. And in one night, the Medo-Persian Empire came into being. They're described in verses 3 and 4 of our text today as the ram. Chapter 8, verse 3 and 4, when you read that, uh, the ram is the Medo-Persian Empire. And then the goat, described in verses 5 through 9, That's Alexander the Great, the Greek prince or or the most powerful ancient Greek king. And that's, so that's point number one today, Captain A, Alexander the Great. So here's what happened. The Medes, they helped Babylon overthrow the Assyrians. The Assyrians were very powerful, but now the Babylonians are. And the Medo-Persians, they come in, they try to help. They're very small, the Persians especially, relatively insignificant. But then Cyrus comes along, and he conquers the Medes about 550 B.C. In verse 4, Cyrus the ram, 
pushes north, south, and west. This is interesting. Did you know the Persian army wore the head of a ram on their military garments? One teacher I researched said that this week, and I went looking, trying to verify it, could not find verification, but I did find out it's a historic fact that the Persian headdress was made from a ram's fleece. So the ram was important to the Persians. And this was prophesied 300 and, you know, uh, I mean, hundreds of years before, before this all takes place, these prophecies are being given. But this particular prophecy was going to happen in Daniel's lifetime. In a very short time, Medes and the Persians were going to take over. And so, 100 years before, 150 years before Daniel, Isaiah prophesied about this man named Cyrus, called him by name 150 years before he was born, said he was chosen of God, even though he was a pagan king, that he would be the one that would help the Jewish people return to their land after 70 years in captivity, and that's exactly what happened. Cyrus took over the uh, Persian king, and then uh, even if you went to Israel today, you would see Cyrus banners displayed, even though he was a, a pagan king. God used him to bless his people. You may not like to hear this. I just want to warn you, though, before you go to Jerusalem, that the Israelis today are also heralding our former president, regaling him with banners why? Because he moved the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem back in 2017. So they, they put him right up there with Cyrus. Just saying. Don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. So Cyrus, Cyrus the ram then runs into Alexander the he-goat. How many of you know a he-goat is stronger than a ram? Alexander the Great fits this description perfectly in Daniel's vision of a male he-goat unicorn. Big horn right between his eyes growing out. Huge horn. Alexander the Great and his Greek army were filled with rage because the Medes and the Persians had turned the people from Greece into slaves. So Captain Alexander the Great, really he was a general, a world conqueror, and he came with such great force, the Bible says it was so fast, it was like their feet didn't even touch the ground. And it's described in Daniel like leopard, like a leopard with wings, showing the great speed and the agility. Now, I want to give you a, a little side note. Do you understand the difference between eisegeting the Word of God and exegeting the Word of God? I'm exegeting the Word of God when I draw out what's written here and I help you understand it. That's exegeting. But sometimes preachers eisegete and they read in from our outside experience what's happening in our lives. We read into the scriptures and say, oh, that's what that means. So if I was eisegeting today, I would tell you that the rams are going to be defeated by a male goat from the west. So that's either Tom Brady, because he was born and raised in California, 
So if you want to go to the sports book, I don't recommend that, but if, you know, you might want to do, I mean, the Bible says that a goat, the greatest of all time, is going to beat the Rams. So maybe this coming year in the NFC Championship game, it'll be Tampa Bay and Los Angeles Rams. I'd put all my money on Tampa Bay. But it might be that in this year's Super Bowl, it'll be the Rams and the Buffalo Bills. Because this might be talking about the future GOAT. I think Josh Allen's going to be the greatest of all time. He's the quarterback for the Bills. And he was born in California in the West. Okay? Now, I would have said Patrick Mahomes. But he's born in East Texas. Okay, wait, there's a ray of hope. He played college ball in West Texas, and Texas is so big that West Texas could be considered part of the West. Oh, this is so confusing. Oh. Don't go to the sports book. You don't know what's going to happen. I'm eisegeting. I'm reading into it. But really, folks, Alexander the Great, he... He really was the GOAT. He was the greatest military genius of all time. G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. He was born 356 years before Christ. He was the son of Philip of Macedon. He was 21 years old when his dad, also a conqueror, was murdered And that just added fuel to his rage. He was a brilliant student of Aristotle. Did you know that when he got to Israel, he, there's a city called Tyre. And the city's been razed to the ground, hasn't been rebuilt, but you can still see the ruins today. And they built it out on the Mediterranean Sea. Fascinating. Everybody in the city had a a view of the sea because they were surrounded by it. So he comes, and the city of Tyre would not give Alexander the Great the supplies that he was asking for, so he's the one who just destroyed the city, threw it back into the sea. He brought Greek rule and Greek ways to Israel. Alexander the Great is the perfect illustration of how the Antichrist is going to come to power. Very fast, very effective, and very world-dominating. In June, this is interesting, listen to this, of June of 323 B.C., he was in Babylon where he died in a drunken orgy. They think he choked on his own vomit. Greatest commander of all time. Verse 8 says, right at the height of his power, the, the lar- his large horn was broken off. And then four horns grew in his place, and those were his four generals. Cassandra went to the west. Lysimachus went to the north. North, west. Seleucus went to the east, and Ptolemy went to the south. This four-way deal didn't happen overnight. It took 22 years of these four, actually five guys, fighting for their position. 
Now the devil, he is smart enough to know that all he had to do to disprove the Bible was to have five kings, five horns. So what was already written in the Bible would not have been accurate. And he almost succeeded. There was a guy named Antigonus who tried so hard to be the fifth horn, and he almost succeeded. Five of them were fighting it out. And if he had succeeded, we could all take this book and just throw it out because it said four. But guess what? There were only four. See, Satan, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, he's powerful. He has a lot of power. Nothing like the power of our God. Nothing like the power of Almighty God. Because, just think of it, all he had to do was influence, because he had entered into Judas Iscariot, you know, he, he just, he could have influenced uh, at that time the, the scribes and Pharisees and the priests to give him only 29 pieces of silver. Because it's prophesied in the book, in Zechariah, that it would be 30 pieces of silver. See, he, he's powerful, but he ain't all powerful. He's not more powerful than our God. I want to read this. It's only, there's three or four stanzas of this, but we don't have time. I want you to just read this, this first stanza, written by a man named Charles Ross Weed. Jesus and Alexander the Great, okay? Jesus and Alexander died at 33. One lived and died for self, One died for you and me. The Greek died on a throne. The Jew died on a cross. One's life a triumph seemed, the other but a loss. One led vast armies forth. The other walked alone. One shed a whole world's blood. The other gave his own. One won the world in life and lost it all in death. The other lost his life to win the whole world's faith. Jesus and Alexander died at 33, one died in Babylon, and one at Calvary. Let's go to the second captain today, Antiochus Epiphanes. In verse 9, we meet him. He was the eighth ruler of the Seleucid dynasty, and he ruled from 175 to 164. The people behind his back in that day referred to him as Antiochus Epimenes, Epimenes, which means maniac. This horrible tyrant proclaims himself to be a, a god who persecuted the Jewish people and produced the very first abomination of desolation that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24, 15. Antiochus exchanged an altar of Zeus for the altar of burnt offerings, and then he sacrificed a pig on that altar on December the 16th, 167 B.C. That's the very first abomination of desolation. It's in the temple. It's in the holy place. He removes the burnt offering altar, and he puts an altar of Zeus in there, and then he then he sacrifices a pig, pig blood everywhere in the holy place. The Antichrist is actually going to do something worse than that. Now, 
You know, a lot of Bible commentators get so smart they're stupid. I've told you about that. They don't believe the virgin birth because they're, they're too intellectual. They don't, believe, they don't believe Daniel wrote the book of Daniel. They believe that because Daniel is prophesying like he lived in the, in the 600s and the 500s and he's prophesying about what happened in the mid-100s. 383 years later and so they're saying no way he could know that was going to happen. So they say that Daniel didn't write it. It was written by some Jewish man in, that lived in Jerusalem in 165 because he saw it happen and he wrote about it. And, and I just want to say this one thing. Those of us who believe in this book right here, we know this to be the Word of God. We know it to be accurate and true. We know that this book has the ability to predict the future. And the, the ability to predict the future wasn't in Daniel, but it was in the wisdom that God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ spoke into His life through the anointed power of the Holy Spirit. God revealed the future by 383 years, but it was perfectly accurate. Now, Alexander the Great, verse 8 says he was going to die at the height of his power, which he did, 33 years old. It was so precise that the Bible goes on to say his kingdom was divided into four kings less powerful than him, verse 8. But he was also, Daniel was also completely accurate about the rise of this evil tyrant, Antiochus Epiphanes, and he's talking about him in verses 9 through 13 and then verses 13 through 25. Antiochus persecuted the Jewish people severely. And then in verse 17, the archangel Gabriel tells Daniel that his vision is for the time of the end, the very end. So it's not just talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, it's also talking about the Antichrist. But Antiochus Epiphanes is a perfect example, once again, of just how evil and blasphemous the Antichrist is going to be when he comes. Verse 23 says, at the end of their rule, when their sin is at its height, the original Hebrew says, in the latter part of their kingdoms, people will become completely rebellious. Now that applies to the time of Antiochus and also the end time when the Antichrist will be here. Now, friends, you all know that I believe a great revival is coming before the rapture of the church. And God's going to bring into salvation the fullness of all of those who are going to be saved. In Matthew 24, 14, he says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all of the nations, and then the end will come. So I believe there's coming a great revival with Las Vegas right at the epicenter. Now, I know that sounds self-serving, okay? But God has his hand on this city. The churches in this city pray together. The pastors in this city, we pray together. The city government loves us. We pastors last month prayed, uh, in May, we prayed at City Hall in the chamber 
We were invited in by the mayor, come here to the city and pray for this city. This coming Saturday, the mayor's going to join us. We're going to have a prayer meeting. I want you all to come from 10 to noon over at the historic 5th Street School where Vic Caruso graduated from back when he was a little 5th grader. In fact, Vic and I were over there not too long ago. He showed me the window he jumped out of so he wouldn't get in trouble, and he broke his arm. So, anyway, the police are on board with us. A few years ago, police came to my office. The the staff thought they were there to arrest me. And they were there begging me to come with them. We had just had a couple of murders about three miles from here. We went into that neighborhood, friends, and we pastored the neighborhood together, police and pastors. We went door to door trying to make sure people felt comfortable and calm. People, Everybody was scared. And God did some amazing things in that neighborhood. And we actually were able to find out who, who, uh, who did the murders, and uh, that person is in jail. Friends, the schools are opening up to us. They're begging us for help. I believe we are going to experience the roaring 20s. Not the way it happened in the 20th century, but the 21st century where the lion of the tribe of Judah is going to roar. And I think, this is just me, so don't string me up by my thumbs if it doesn't happen in the 20s, but I think it's coming. I think it's coming so quickly. We're going to have this incredible revival, and we're all going to be a part of it. And all of our friends and family members and co-workers, they're all going to come to know Christ through our influence. But what happens next? After that great revival hits, I think it's going to be the third great awakening and it's going to usher us into what? A time of, that just gets better and better until we go right into the millennial reign of Jesus Christ and we have a thousand years of peace and the devil's thrown in the bottomless pit? See, that's what a lot of people believe, but I, I'd love to believe that, but it doesn't line up with Scripture because of what Daniel says today. See, I personally believe that the rapture's imminent. Could happen today. Could happen tomorrow. Uh, I'm not sure when the rapture is going to happen, but I think that you could be sitting there this afternoon at home watching your favorite TV show, and in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, you'll be transferred out of your favorite chair, and you'll be standing right in the presence of Jesus Christ. You will not only be transferred, but you will be transformed. As you're being raptured, in that moment, your body will change to your new resurrection body. This old body of sickness and weakness and humility, this sinful body of ours is going to be transformed into a body of power. We'll be transformed into a body of strength. We'll be transformed into a body of glory. You and I will be transformed into a body of holiness and righteousness. And you will have a body that will never sin again. Hallelujah. (laughs) You'll never sin again in your new body. And so in one moment of time, 
You're going to be standing in your new body looking straight into the face of Jesus. In the next moment, all those you love who have already died and gone on before us are going to be standing right next to you in their resurrection bodies. Your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your aunt, your uncle, your sons, your daughters. They're all your friends. They're going to be standing around together with you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his presence, we will experience perfect freedom. We'll be free from all oppression. We'll be free from all tyranny for time and eternity. We will be free from all persecution that we have known in this life. Can you just say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Now, all of that's going to happen before Antichrist is revealed. He's called the man of sin. Daniel tells us he's the lawless one. When he arrives, it'll be a time of complete rebellion. Paul says that before the man of lawlessness is revealed, the the apostasy will come first. He doesn't say an apostasy. He says the apostasy. And that's when people stop believing in God. They stop obeying his word. Now, friends, I believe we're living right now in a period of an apostasy. Church attendance is down. Anger and violence is skyrocketing. People aren't living according to the word of God. Why am I encouraged? Because whenever this has happened throughout history, coldness and apostasy towards Jesus, that's when God sends a revival. I believe we are going to be a part of a fresh wave of revival that's going to break out before Jesus returns. Okay, third and final point, third captain, Captain A, Captain Antichrist. The end of verse 23 tells us that both Antiochus and the Antichrist will be kings who understand intrigue. You know what that means? They're very aware, they're very capable of manipulating people through force, through lies, through flattery. Antichrist will be particularly adept at knowing what kind of manipulation to use and with whom he should use it. What Daniel didn't see, but is revealed to us in the book of Revelation, is that the Antichrist will have a confederate known as the false prophet who will work miracles on his behalf, which helped tremendously in manipulating people all over the world. Matthew 24, 24 is where Jesus himself warns people not to be deceived during the great tribulation because the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to give these great signs and wonders with the purpose, the Bible says, to deceive, if it were possible, even the elect. So what is happening? Are there Christian people in the great tribulation? Of course. Everyone who wasn't ready when Jesus came in, in the rapture, you're not stupid enough to, know, to, to take the mark of the beast. Of course you're going to be saved. And, and the Jewish people will come, you know, at least 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. Anyway, there's going to be a lot of saved people and the Bible says that, uh, man, so much deception that if possible, even the elect. But I want you all to know 
that that verse actually means that the elect cannot and will not ever be deceived. Jesus is simply warning the world that the deception, I love that picture, will be extremely great. Go to that next slide. The Antichrist will be a political leader of tremendous ability, and he will be a sorcerer who pulls off what appears to be miracles, and I guarantee you he'll have a lot of hair. He's going to fool people. He's going to deceive people into believing he's divine. He will be engaging, really. Listen, he will be appealing. He'll, he'll sort of be a reverse messiah. He'll have tremendous ability to solve the world problems. Let's go to the next slide. He'll be a financial wizard, a military genius, an oratorical wonder. He'll make Hitler, Napoleon, and all the Caesars seem modest. He's going to come not proclaiming himself as king, not as president, not as a dictator, not as a world ruler, friends. When the Antichrist comes, he's going to proclaim himself as none other than Almighty God. Now, what's going to make that work for him is that he'll be inspired and indwelt by Satan himself. Verse 24 says, he will become very strong, but not by his own power. So remember, Satan, he entered Judas Iscariot the night that, that Jesus was betrayed by Judas. The devil entered him. The devil's going to enter the Antichrist and give him strength, great strength, wisdom to do evil, great knowledge. When the vision describes great strength in the Bible, it's not just physical strength and physical power. He is going to have superhuman strength but he will also have superhuman knowledge and monstrous otherworldly wisdom. But the Antichrist is so corrupted by his blind rage to destroy Jesus, he doesn't see his own defeat coming. Jesus is going to take that whippersnapper and throw him into the burning fire. Jesus will have victory over this ultimate tyrant, and bring freedom and victory to all of us who put our trust in him. Amen. Perhaps the greatest unholy act of the Antichrist, Jesus speaks about it in Matthew 24, 15. It's also called the abomination of desolation. And Jesus, you know where he got that from? Right here in Daniel. Jesus read the book of Daniel. Of course, he's Jesus. He knew. But the abomination of desolation means something detestable to God being brought into the holy place that causes it to become unclean. See, the uncleanness leads to desolation, and, and the holy place will be without priests or offerings. Daniel 8.13 refers to this abomination of desolation, but it uses different terms for it. It's talking about transgression or rebellion, but here's the end result of the desolation of that holy place. When Antiochus sacrificed a pig 
on the altar to Zeus that replaced the altar of burnt offerings. The abomination of desolation of the Antichrist will come when the Antichrist declares himself to be God in the Holy of Holies in that rebuilt temple that's going to be rebuilt on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Then he will erect an image of himself in the Holy of Holies, and the false prophet will deceive the world through making it seemingly come to life. Now, you can, you can understand that. You live in Las Vegas. Just go down to the forum shops, and you'll see these statues come to life. Now, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know. It might, it might be the most incredible hologram you've ever seen, but we, all, we know the technology is already there. But he's going to make it so lifelike, that statue in the Holy of Holies coming to life. And friends, Daniel 8, it doesn't exactly tell us all about Christ and his victory over the Antichrist in any great detail. Verse 25 simply says this, that the Antichrist is going to be broken, but not by human power. So remember in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Jesus is the stone that comes out of heaven and pulverizes all of the anti-God nations by striking the statue on its ten toes. In Daniel 7, last week, we saw that he is the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. Revelation describes the great ultimate victory of Jesus Christ at the battle of Armageddon where all of Antichrist's armies are assembled to fight against Jesus. Today, we can see how that would happen because we have seen world wars just recently in history. So we know that there's going to be a final world war and that final battle, according to the Bible, is going to happen in the Valley of Megiddo. Many of you have been there and that's where this battle is going to take place. And then Jesus, the Son of Man, will come riding on a white horse and with him the entire army of heaven coming along with him. We'll be a part of that bunch right there coming with him. He's going to defeat the armies of the nations that have made war against him and against this book. And he's going to defeat them with this book and by every word that comes out of his mouth. He's going to capture the Antichrist and the false prophet. He's going to throw them into hell, the lake of fire. He's going to cause an angel to descend from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit. Satan will be seized and cast into that abyss for a thousand years. And during those thousand years... Jesus will rule and reign on this earth, and those of us who have put our trust in him, we will rule and reign with him. Stand with me, everybody. Come on, let's give him praise. Hallelujah. We get to rule and reign with Jesus forever and ever. Hallelujah. Can you just imagine a thousand years on this planet, you're going to get to go to all those places that you always wanted to visit. You get to go. My first day in the millennium, I've told you this. I'm going to parachute out of a plane without a parachute. 
because I don't need one, because in my, I, my resurrected body that can never die, I mean, I could go ahead and bounce on the ground if I wanted to, because you can't kill me. But right before I hit the ground, I'm going to be thinking about laying on a beach in Hawaii. We get to do all the things we ever wanted to do while we rule and reign with Christ. Have you ever read Revelation 19? At the end of a thousand years of peace, no devil, all the mortal people are so angry, they're so upset that the Bible says they all gather together and they surround Jerusalem and it's like they want to just just overthrow Jesus who has ruled with a wrought iron for a thousand years. And it, you know, think about it. Everybody who's supposed to be in jail during those thousand years will be in jail. Nobody's going to get away with nothing. Everybody who's innocent will be innocent. Thank God. Hallelujah. Because we're going to take care of business. You know what we're going to be like? You know why I think there's such a fascination in our world with superheroes? Because that's what we're going to be like. We're going to be like superheroes. We're going to have supernatural power. We're going to be empowered by Jesus to take care of business on his behalf. We're going to be in our resurrection bodies. We're not going to be sinning. It's going to be glorious beyond anything you can even think or imagine right now. But that's if you have made things right with God. Would you just lift your face toward heaven right now? Would you just take a deep look inside, Lord? Is there any evil way in me? Is there anything inside of me that I need to make right with you today? I want to do it right now. Lord, bring the fear of God back into our lives and our culture, our society, our neighborhood. We need the fear of the Lord. We need to know we're going to stand before you one day. We're going to give an account for everything in our lives. I want to ask forgiveness right now. I don't want any of my junk to be looked at by my Heavenly Father when I get there. I just want everything covered by the blood of Jesus the, the slate wiped clean I want to stand in your presence clean before my Lord and I can't do it <laughs> I'm a sinner I've made so many mistakes but I'm grateful today to know the word of God and I stand on the word of the living God that I will stand before you one day, my master and my savior, clean because I applied the blood that you shed on the cross to my heart. And I asked you for repentance. I repented of my sins. I turned from my wicked ways and I chose every day to follow Jesus. Make that your prayer. Make that your heart. Make that your life. I want to live to please Jesus. I want to live in a, a way that I will influence others to come with me when we all go to heaven. Hallelujah, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that we absolutely 
can take a deep breath today because we know you're completely in charge. Completely in charge. Hallelujah. 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 You know, this is my, my favorite illustration, then I'll let you go. But in football season, sometimes my team is playing while we're having church. So I, I tape the game. And on my way home, invariably, one of you precious saints of God will call me or text me to say, Woohoo! We won! Our team won! And I'm like, Oh. Oh well, at least I know we won. So I'm watching the game from start to finish, and we fumble the ball. And I go, Oh, stupid Cowboys. Ugh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We won. It's going to be okay. And then our quarterback will throw an interception. Ugh. What's wrong with you? Wait, wait. We won. Deep breath. Just going to relax. And sure enough, here we come back and win that game. Friends, we win game. We win the game. There's going to be some fumbles. There's going to be some interceptions. Life's going to be tough sometimes. Real tough. Things are going to happen that you couldn't even imagine were going to happen. How do you know that, Pastor? Because I'm 65 stinking years old. That's how I know. God, thank you that you have it all under control. Honestly, we have nothing to worry about. Come on, let's give him praise. Let's give him glory. Let's give him honor. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus.